Bet365 sponsors our podcast and they feature over 300,000 sporting events on their betting app. It's got everything you need to bet on sport. Bet365 are offering a wide range of markets, including first, last, or anytime goal scorers. With over 45 million members, it's the world's favorite online betting company. With Bet365 Bet Builder, you can combine match results, players to score, number of goals, and more to create your own personalized bet. And if you can't watch the games live, with Bet365's Match Live feature, you can follow every moment through live graphics and text. Bet365 is the world's favourite online sports betting company. The app can be downloaded from the Google Play and the Apple App Store. Over 18s only, please gamble responsibly. Ladies and gentlemen, and welcome to Pod on the Tyne, your go-to Newcastle United podcast brought to you by The Athletic. My name is, of course, Taylor Payne, and I am joined after Chris's little paddy last week about acronyms and uh, using letters instead of names by CW and GC. How are we doing, lads? Are we okay? I'm not going to respond to that because I don't <laughs> recognise that as my name. I mean, I will respond to it because it's my name. Yeah. So, I mean, Yeah, you yeah. responded to Sergeant Waffles for a good six weeks. <laughs> Fair, fair play, fair play. <laughs> hey, how we doing, boys? Are we all right, George? Are we okay? Frigging marvellous. Frigging marvellous. Get in. Absolutely. On the roller coaster again, aren't we? Or on the roller coaster. Let's enjoy oh, it. Yes. Sit back. Sit back. Football enjoy is officially it. back, isn't it? Well, well Newcastle United are certainly back. Chris, how are you? Are you all right, mate? Oh, I'm not sure we can call it football, but there was something on display at St. James's Park on, on Sunday. Well, I suppose Brighton were playing football and Newcastle were there. They had 11 yeah, <laughs> they turned up and their fixtures, as they did quite a lot last, last yeah. season. Yeah. I mean, I think de- just describing it as football, you'd be in some trouble with the trade descriptions out, wouldn't you? Let's be honest. It, it wasn't good, was it? Let's be honest. No, it it wasn't, wasn't good at all. No, I mean, I was I was back in St. James's Park. We were back up, having the June midweek last week been down by, uh, almost back in the press boxes, down by the side of the pitch. We were back up in the... Uh, in the stands, and it was probably to Steve Bruce's benefit that we couldn't hear anything that was going on during the game because I imagine there was a lot of expletives going from the touchline. There was certainly Turned a lot of expletives blue, going maybe. around in the in the uh, in the in the press box, as I'm sure there was uh, across social media during the whole of the game. Um, mm. Yeah, I mean, it was it was over as a contest after seven minutes. It was an awful start, and Newcastle barely got any better whatsoever. And it was it was yeah that reality check after the first weekend where everything seemed so positive, and then all of a sudden it was like bloody hell, there is still quite a lot of work to do with this with this uh, this group to, really to, to make them consistent. And that games like that where you play Brighton at home, you not only expect to win, you certainly do not expect to get turned over. And so it wasn't just the defeat and the scoreline, it was the manner of it, which I think was 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 harrowing, really. Yeah. I mean, I get I get the idea of of not changing the team after West Ham because you have a good result and you have a good, you know, a good squad dynamic and you don't want to spoil that. You don't want to upset the rhythm, Dave. But also, they are two different teams that you're playing. You're playing a Brighton team who've never, ever played the f- football that the West Ham team we faced the week before have been playing. And they, they knock it about and they keep the ball and, you know, Green Potter's got them playing some decent stuff. And the approach seemed to be, you know, just knock it long to Andy Carroll. And that, and that to me is a worry that there wasn't, there didn't seem to be a plan B. Well, there didn't seem to be a plan A, did there really, that on Saturday? George, I don't know how you felt about mm, it. No, I mean, I'm, as you both constantly remind me, I'm very old. So I kind of, <laughs> I 
I grew up you watching are. watching the you know Liverpool team in the 1980s, and back then you would have 14 players in your squad, and you would never change. And if you win one week, you you play that you play the same team the next week, and that's sort of how it was. So that's yeah. probably my you know that's my hinterland in terms of sort of watching football. And I kind of so I kind of understand it, and I suppose I also understand the philosophy that if you win one week and you're I mean and let's not forget. Steve Bruce did surprise us at West Ham by playing Andy Carroll and by playing that system, and it worked. And so he deserves credit for that. So we should have that in the back of our mind when we then come on to Brighton. Now, if you're the manager and you've your plan has worked, you go out again. Another one of my sort of big, you know, big figures in, in my life in terms of watching Newcastle is Kevin Keegan, and he would go out and say to his team, "Go out and prove how good you are." And if you're good enough and you're on form, and you've done well, go out and impose yourself. And the problem that happened on Sunday was that Newcastle did not impose themselves in any way, shape or form on that match. And so I'm not. this is not a defence of Steve Bruce, it really isn't, because I think he did get it wrong. And I think it's mm. so sort of old-fashioned to think in those terms that I'm, t- that I'm talking about. Yeah. But if Newcastle had gone out and played like they played at West Ham, then maybe Brighton wouldn't have caused Newcastle problems. I mean, so that's, you know, that's another way of looking at it. However, I do think there are, you know, I think that notion of sticking with the same team now is sort of, is outdated. And yeah, the game's changed, hasn't it? And you switch things around, you switch things around. And I think, you know, one thing that Chris and I have talked about, certainly in the past couple of days when we're trying to sort of deconstruct what happened, is that... You know, one area of concern at West Ham was Newcastle's left side, and they really allowed Brighton's Lamptey, Tarek Lamptey, to sort of to 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 have the run of that side. And you know, that was a that was a concern, and they didn't stop him. They didn't do anything to cause Brighton problems, and they didn't they didn't do much to sort of solve the problems that Brighton were creating themselves. And so, you know, I do think that I do think that Newcastle are still the kind of team that can't afford to carry a passenger and they carried at least two passengers on Sunday and yeah. and arguably more than that. And so it becomes very difficult to sort of I think it becomes quite difficult to sort of draw clear conclusions from it except to say that we were shit and that's not you know that's not a that's not a very sort of scientific observation it's not is it and 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 the other thing is when you are that shit for whatever reason you know whether it's tactics formation form players having off days all of those things it's the manager that has to take uh take the responsibility for it and because it was so bad it's not it wasn't just bad it was really, really bad, and so there's no, you know, there is no excuse for that. There was no excuse for it. It was horrible to watch. I mean, it started bad, didn't it? And it, it just got progressively worse from there. I mean, Alan St. Maximum giving away a penalty within the first, you know, in the in the very first knockings of the game, Chris, and then you, you're straight on the back foot, aren't you? There's there's literally the entire game plan goes out the window when that happens, doesn't it? And then being two 0 down after ten minutes or so, it's game over effectively, isn't it? It is, and I mean. Picking up on the point that George made about the left-hand side, I know there's been a lot of criticism of Andy Carroll's starting, and in hindsight, he certainly shouldn't have done, and he struggled. But more of an issue I had was, was sort of that left-hand side, in that it was quite mm. clear. Lamptey, it was quite clear from uh, last week, but also from after Project Restart, how inform he was, how dangerous he was going to be for Brighton. He's like a great player, doesn't he? He does, and it, but... And, but Alan Sat Maxima, we know in terms of defensively, he is unlikely to cover, and when he is going to cover, it seems he's going to give away a penalty. So, <laughs> as we saw, but that was on the rare occasions where he actually didn't let the man go. And 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 Jamal Lewis, 
is very strong going forward. But again, the, the, some of the concerns maybe from Norwich are that he needs to improve defensively. And I just didn't really understand how and why that that was the left-hand side. And it took until, I think it was the 33rd minute or something before it switched across and Hendrick came across the left-hand side. Jeff Hendrick, who doesn't really have a left foot as well, by the way. So no. I do think that, that, that yes, some of, some of the criticism maybe has gone a bit far, but at the same time, I can understand why fans are looking at that and saying, well, what, what was... The, the, the plan here and yes you can go out and say that we should be stronger and we should be able to play against them but Lamptey caused Chelsea problems and Chelsea have a, a superior squad to Newcastle and so therefore I do think that you have to try and combat what the real threat is and he was the difference those first 10 minutes he was the one who made the, the biggest difference and then Newcastle the game was already lost seven minutes in and that, that that's sort of more of the issue I had than anything else. We were going to we were going to talk about on our Sam Maximum kind of later on in in the pod but I wonder if we should maybe sort of address that now because as we yeah. as we've sort of brushed brushed up alongside him um <laughs> in a sensual manner like that uh, verbally yeah, yeah. because he was he was really bad and and you know I don't want to scapegoat him or or anybody particularly but he was such a he was such a highlight last season and he was he was the one kind of player who made us smile, I suppose, is the way of looking at it. Not to say that other people didn't do well, but he was the one kind of outlet for creativity and joy and that kind of freedom of spirit that we haven't seen a lot in the team over the past few years. He really brought something sort of different. And I think it was, you know, we saw him get kicked from pillar to post at West Ham. We did. But he he was he, he, he looked disinterested from the very start. Um, against West Ham and that was very disappointing and you know Bruce has has talked a, a lot about sort of the, the the challenge of managing a player like like him we've spoken to Chris you know Chris has been over in France and talked about those sorts of issues about sort of attitude and and things like that which certainly uh, were were around him earlier on in his career and he is he is such an important player to us that you know I hope that's not a sign of sort of things things to come. He has to be engaged and he has to be carefully managed. And you know we yeah. we, we 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 certainly hear that from inside the club as well. That it, that's not always straightforward. He Bruce did that very well last season by and large. I've got a feeling he's not fully fit. You know, George, looking at him, he doesn't look right. No, well he's and he's he's, he's since he, since we've came back. Yeah, and he rolled his ankle at the weekend. So we'll have to see what that means. Uh, moving forward, although he's had a scan and it's not shown sort of anything sort of dreadfully serious, which is good. He was, but he is, he was down hurt against West Ham as well, wasn't he? He was he was down a yeah. few times against West Ham, and you, yeah. you, I mean, I worry is he is he picking up little knocks here and there, and it's denting his his confidence or his ability to just be free and get on the ball and do what he wants. You know, is he is he maybe he's playing with a little bit of fear now where he didn't have it before? I don't know. Well, he is someone who's had injuries in the past, and I do know that when he was presented before last summer when he signed as a target on a few occasions that one of the the concerns that that was held was that he has had a lot of of injury problems I mean I suppose you even saw that last season in terms of he did have quite a few hamstring issues he missed a few games when he was fit and firing on form he was the difference maker for Newcastle and I still think he can and will be but at the minute yeah he didn't look right I agree with George on on Sunday you could see with it maybe you couldn't always see it on the TV I'm not sure but but in the ground you could tell even basically as the game started you could see he's just not he just doesn't really seem 
that up for this today for whatever reason, whether it was injury affecting him, whether it just wasn't, whether he just didn't fancy it against Lamptey, whether it was a combination of a lot of different things. And obviously, I imagine, given away the penalty, he had a psychological impact as well. And so from then on, and then when he shifted across the right, you knew it was only a matter of time before he was, he was actually going to come off. And so Newcastle do look still shorn of ideas w- without him. Now, Fraser obviously has just come in, hasn't had that much game time yet. Miguel Almoral hasn't started the first couple of games. Yeah. And I think that it's going to be crucial to, to to get them involved more as well because at the moment, the burden of creativity does still fall on Alan Saint-Maximin and mm. when he's not on form, that's when Newcastle really are struggling. I think we feel a bit one-dimensional. I don't know how you feel about this, George, but there seems to be a lack of dynamism in that team at the minute where if you know if, if the pump it long or down the channels doesn't work, there's not really an awful lot else we seem to be able to do. And... I think bringing Armouron in, and, and I don't know whether Fraser would help this or not as well, but we just need a change of something just to make things, just just to kind of brighten things up a little bit. It just seems to be very stale at the minute. I mean, you can look at Sunday and just say nothing went right. There was, no, I mean, there was no redeeming feature from from that game, really, apart from the team improving marginally, I'd say, when Almiron came on. But, mm. you know, I think I think if we, if we want to take a step back, I'm still sort of looking forward to seeing Wilson... Armoron, St. Maximat, Fraser in the same team with Richie, you know, which Richie there around and about too. I think there is dynamism there and there is definitely pace and there's definitely something a bit different. Now harnessing all that and getting the right combination of those players together will be will be key. I think that does mean that Newcastle are a counter-attacking team again. And so, you know, getting used to watching them not have the ball is, uh, is, is you know, I think that's still going to be the case this season. But there is something there. I, I think we, I, I, you know, none of us expected Andy Carroll to start at West, uh, at West Ham. I think that experiment will probably get dropped for now. And mm-hmm. um, having said that, we all loved, you know, we loved the first 20 seconds against West Ham. I'll be, I hope that's not my favourite moment of the season, but I did find it very, very funny. <laughs> Uh, I did find it very, very funny, and it and it did remind us of what sort of Andy Carroll can do, and so did the rest of that match. I mean, but we saw him on Sunday, and he was, you know, when he's isolated, you do get a far clearer sense of just how unable he is to kind of get around the pitch when they yeah. needed somebody to sort of chase possession down. He just can't do that, and um, mm. he, he just doesn't have the legs for it. It felt like he kind of um, he sacrificed Armour on the first week um, against West Ham in order to play Carroll uh, and have that kind of battering ram quality that he has. You know, like you say, that first twenty seconds was was quite something, wasn't it? And then Armouron coming on later on in the game when the defence is tired, I thought that was a good shout and I thought it worked. But it's not going to work every week, and it's going to be it's going to have to be a different approach for different teams. And maybe those roles need to be switched so that Armouron is the one who starts the game with all of his energy and his spark and his sort of forward thinking. And Andy Carroll's the one who comes on later on to, to cause a bit of havoc and to kind of just get himself in there and put the shits up people. And and I think it's going to be a delicate balance of which way you go with that because you want to be careful to not piss off Armour on too much. I mean, he's the happiest man in the world, obviously, regardless of what's going on around him. But you just don't want to be sort of you don't want to be pissing him off too much and sacrificing him when when really that sort of driving forward. If you want to play as a counter attacking team, he's the fastest player we've got. I think I think he's he's got pace to burn and and he gets the ball up the pitch and I think we need him in the team. But I might flip that round a little bit and say that. 
actually we've seen Almiranda's best in those two games when he's come on and also in midweek he, he made a big impression when he created the assist and was probably the only bright spot against Blackburn. Last season Almiron knew that he was almost certainly going to play most weeks, now he doesn't mm, and, yeah. and is that what's bringing the best out of him? Now I'm not sure if that is necessarily the case but that that's what I've thought over the last week or so and thought that maybe, maybe I'm not starting this season, maybe that is going to make him realise, hang on a second, Ryan Fraser's coming here, Callum Wilson's yeah, coming guaranteed. here. We've also got Jeff Hendrick if he's going to play three in midfield or whatever. So I'm not guaranteed a place. I need to make sure that, that every country... We all know that he gives 100% every match. His work rate is without doubt. But now we've had we've had two assists already this season, which is which is more than he had in his first however many first games it was. It took him ages to score or assist. But now he's starting to do that fairly regularly. Maybe this is also giving him the kick out the backside. I think this is what I need. I need to be materially affecting games every week. And we'll have to see over time whether that does have that added benefit. But I would very much expect him to start this weekend. I think I can't see how you couldn't play him now at, uh, at yeah. Spurs. Has to, doesn't he? This podcast is brought to you by Hims. If you haven't heard of them, they're basically your best mate when it comes to those tricky men's health problems. Balding is an awkward topic for men. Not for me, though. I've got a lustrous head of hair. Uh, yeah, a lot of us start to lose our hair before we hit 40. Uh, and the best way we can take control of our hair loss is to do something about it while we still have some. Hims was created to make it easier for guys to seek care, especially guys who avoid seeing their doctor in person for awkward health conversations. Have we, have we had any awkward health conversations recently, George? Uh, many, well, yeah, I do. I am slightly. I'm slightly. This is interesting because the last time I took part in one of these, it was all about shaving your bollocks. And I'm just now thinking, could you not like take the hair that you've shaved off your bollocks and stick it onto your head? Oh, a nice tight close perm. No, it wasn't. I'm not sure if that's what the hymns are suggesting, but um, anyway, no, it's, just a thought, it's just a thought. Oh, dear me. Not everyone wants to have personal conversations face-to-face -face with a stranger in a white coat, so Hims connects you to real doctors online, which can save you hours. Uh, it's a completely confidential and discreet service. You'll get a proper consultation, and they'll give you sound advice on what you can do to help your hair before it's too late. Uh, it couldn't be easier to book your free consultation. Just go to forhims.co.uk forward slash athletic. That's F-O-R-H-I-M-S dot co.uk forward slash athletic. Alternatively, get the clippers out and the print stick and have a go at it yourself. I'm Adam Leventhal and I'm here to tell you about the latest podcast from The Athletic, Beyond the Headline. We're going to be taking an even deeper look at some of the extraordinary stories that have captured the football world. It just looks like the most sort of miserable marriage. It's, it's been a loveless marriage from, from day one, really. We've got the most authoritative voices in football to take you right to the heart of the action. That season was just such a toxic, I mean, it's the most unbelievable season I think I've covered and, you know, there have been a few of those. It all starts on September 21st with a three-part special on Newcastle United and the takeover that never was. The lack of ambition in the club in the last 10, 12 years has flattened people in this, in this city. I think it could be a legacy lost. That's Beyond the Headline, the latest podcast from The Athletic. Available wherever you get your podcasts or get it ad-free via The Athletic app.
This is the highs and lows in Newcastle, though, isn't it? We go from one week of everyone's positive and, you know, we're all sort of waving our willies around like a helicopter. And then the next week, <laughs> everything has gone to shit. The world's the worst place it could possibly be. We're back in lockdown. You know, what's the point? It's mad, isn't it? It's, this is the problem we have with with this wonderful sport we call football. It's very emotional, isn't it? Yeah, and I've written something uh, I've written something on the athletics sort of about that subject. I mean, have you thought it's almost like I said we had on purpose Taylor, there. Taylor, <laughs> Taylor, that was seamless. It was beautiful. Beautiful. Oh, done. The light touch. Such a light touch you've spoiled it now by. I know. So I kind of say, you know, I say this is this is a public service announcement on behalf of the athletic. Calm the fuck down. Chill the fuck out. Shut the fuck up. It's been two games. But, and th- th- this, uh, it's quite funny. I kind of posted it on Twitter and it's supposed to be a joke and it's supposed to be, um, it's supposed to be a bit, a bit lighthearted. But Newcastle fans have absolutely lost their shit saying, well, no, it's, you know, it's Steve Bruce, this is, it's 12 months of this, it's, uh, or it's 13 years of this. And it's, well, you can actually go a bit further. I mean, you know, I, I, I always think context is important so it's not just two games of course it's the football we saw last season the context is 13 years of Mike Ashley uh, not running the club very well it's 1955 since we last won the trophy oh but fucking hell when we were when we were set up in 1870 whatever (laughs) fucking hell them (laughs) bastards from I mean so you can look for context at some point you do just have to say okay well this is a new season and so but it wasn't a, really a piece about Newcastle. It was a piece really sort of more about, I think, the heightened emotion that we all feel around life in general at the moment, not just about football, but also, you know, the way that football kind of magnifies it. And we don't have an outlet for this emotion anymore. So we're kind of locked down. We can't go to the pub with six people. or We, or we can go with six people, but as long as one of them's your mum, or you, you can go to the pub with your dad, but only if your mum's babysitting for your sister yeah you can so, go to the pub if you're grouse shooting as well apparently and, so it's, grouse shooting I, I, in the pub. and you can you can go grouse shooting in the fucking pub but oh, i just want to shout about football in the pub and you can't do that so everyone shouts no. on twitter instead and yeah we don't have the outlet of the stadium anymore and we don't also sometimes we don't have the calming we don't have the calming effect of the stadium because i sort of make that point in the piece i wrote that Probably you wouldn't boo your team. I mean, I think probably St James's Park would have would have booed on would have booed on Sunday because <laughs> it was so bad. But you know, I, I I kind of remember there was always always this sense that you probably wouldn't boo your team off after the first game of the season because everyone's kind of watching you and and you don't want to sort of be that kind of fan base and it's like no 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 we'll keep this to ourselves we'll keep this to ourselves and sometimes the stadium would be quite a conservative place with a small C. And yeah. we don't have that on, on us anymore. So we're just all shouting at each other on Twitter all the time. And so the response of Newcastle fans has been kind of quite uh has been quite funny. And I mean that in a obviously in a in a endearing, yeah. loving, loving way, because no, 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 it, it, this is it is it is terrible. It really is terrible. Um <laughs> Um, but of course, it's also, and that is part of our that is part of our existence. It's how we've always been. Steve Bruce talked in his press conference before the Morecambe game this week about, you know, the sensationalised headlines up here. And okay, he's not the you know Bobby Robson, bless him, talked about the highs being higher at Newcastle and needing his old pit helmet to sort of investigate <laughs> the lows. Yeah. And this is a fella who's managed Barcelona. This is a fella who was England manager during the most vicious circulation, newspaper circulation war in history. And he still talked about the highs and lows being higher and higher at Newcastle. It's what we're like. We have those 
it's partly because our team is not consistent and so one week we're perfectly capable of being okay and the next week we're perfectly capable of being dog shit but we're an emotional football club and we're emotional because we care we care so when probably counter against counter to our expectations we're quite good at west ham it feels like oh fucking brilliant you know it's it's great it's really good and then Again, Brighton was awful. There's no redeeming feature to Brighton, but it feels like it's the end of the world, and we care. And it's a good thing. It's good to care, and I, I don't love it because I prefer to be winning every week. But this, but that yeah. that sort of swing of emotion is so much part of who we are. We have to sort of recognise that, and and kind of celebrate it a bit. I think I'd be quite worried if that care and that emotion disappears, though, with Newcastle. I think that's. That's one of the things that makes us who we are, isn't it? Like you oh, say, yeah. and, if, and, if, and if that goes, then I think we're in trouble. You know? Yeah, and, that, trouble. and there has been a lot of apathy around the club at the moment, and um, you know, you don't you don't want that. So I suppose it's it's sort of reassuring it, it, in a in a sort of counterintuitive way. It's reassuring when everybody's getting really angry after two games in, yeah. because um, because it means we're still alive. You have to you have to remember as well that social media isn't a fair representation of a fan base. I think if anything's proved that over the years is with Newcastle is when we've had protests and we've had you know campaigns on social media and stuff like that, and then you go to the match and then three quarters of the crowd seem to be completely nonplussed by everyone's uh, you know in a tizzy. And it, you have to remember that when you look at social media, if anything's shown us that over the last few years, you know with the Brexit stuff and politics as well. Newcastle United is, a, is an absolute prime example of that. The, the representation on social media doesn't necessarily represent what the wider fan base is thinking and feeling or no, even what but, they care about, you know? No, but we don't have... I mean, what else do we have at the moment? No, I know. So, you know, if, if, you're, if you can't watch the match with you in, in person, if you can't watch the match with your mates in the pub, if you can't, you know, if you don't have that sort of human interaction, where do you express what, how you feel? And how do you judge? You know, how do you judge? Again, a, a point I make in this piece, the judge and jury always used to be the crowd. And that's not to say that things haven't changed over the years because they because they have. But you always had that sense that once the crowd turned, that was it. You know, there was yeah. very rarely would there be a chance of a manager coming back from it or an owner or, you know, whatever. That was the moment when something changed. And you know, we have moved away from that from that point, and this isn't saying that fans who aren't in the stadium or who can't be in the stadium for whatever reason aren't just as valuable as those that are. But that that would be the sort of that would be how I would relate everything back. It was like, okay, well, you know, they they've sang his name for the first time. They sang his name. That means he's finally been accepted. Um, if you only look at Twitter or social media, you've got nothing to sort of relate. That's just everybody shouting at the same time. And so how do you judge those? Yeah. How do you sort of judge what the feeling is? It's very difficult. It becomes very difficult. We need another outlet for our emotion, don't we? Let's let's all get up the moors with with our guns and shoot some grouse. That'll take our you know, little, we need another outlet, don't we? Thirty of little, our best mates. Because we're allowed. Little feathery <laughs> bastards, what are they? Ever? Yeah, exactly. I'll show you having wings and that flapping about, buggers. Uh, yeah, so it's it's strange though, isn't it? I mean, how 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 do you think this squad looks at the minute with Newcastle? We, is there anywhere in particular in the squad that that needs some attention? Is there any gaping holes that we can well, apart from the defence, obviously, uh, on Saturday they had a pretty big gaping hole right through it, didn't it? Well, you mentioned the defence, and defence is certainly somewhere that Steve Bruce would like to strengthen. I mean, Bruce George was in his virtual press conference this morning. He was on 
Zoom. He was getting worried, actually, because he, he hasn't done one of those Zoom press conferences in a while. And they do the radio section first, which we're not allowed to do. And George texted me saying they haven't let us in yet. So I had to explain to him how, how this worked. But anyway, that's a little bit ageist. A little bit ageist. Oh, bless him. That's a slight side point. But in that press conference, Bruce... Say, uh, basically confirm what we, we'd sort of put on our, our real-time feed yesterday, that, that Newcastle's transfer plans haven't changed as of as of Sunday, even though as bad as Sunday was, there were already areas that we were looking to strengthen, and that remains centre-back and striker or forward, might may, may be more of a versatile forward, probably on loan. They still have two domestic loan slots. Obviously, you can bring in more yeah. loans for abroad as well. And basically, I think part of the strategy is they're waiting to see what happens with the sort of big six clubs who might become available. I think Bruce still expects it to be a few bits of business. I mean, obviously, we see Spurs have signed two players over the weekend and yeah. uh, other other teams are looking elsewhere. Liverpool have just signed more players, so more players may become available and then Newcastle look to, to decide. Obviously, they were trying to get Rob Holding from Arsenal. They were hopeful that... Yeah. Yeah. was going to happen and, and Arteta changed his mind so defender still the priority obviously Lejeune's gone out shares back in training now but could still go Paul, Paul Dummett as well as, yeah he's, he's been he's been uh, unfit so he, he's been struggling Kieran Clark's now back as well but then also a, another forward just to give them a bit of support for if Wilson gets injured I know everyone mm. rightly is fearful as to what happens there I mean I was told a couple of weeks ago that there is still a little bit of money not that much but there is a little bit of money so permanent isn't completely beyond the realms of possibility Rod Rodrigo Vilca, who's a young Peruvian number 10 who would come in as an under-23 player, someone Newcastle are also interested in. But as I say, that's not really a first-team upgrade. But yeah, the priority does he play is... The, does he play the trumpet, Chris? That's all I'm interested in. Well, this is I, I, I can only presume that he would come here and he would he would bring back the Jordi Latinos. I can't see how he wouldn't <laughs> he wouldn't do that. that, would, that would... He couldn't, he wouldn't dare, would he? He wouldn't dare. I mean, he wouldn't dare yeah, come back I mean... and not do that. No, that would and just get just get Nobby back as well. Just just bring Nobby back and just have him just have him around, just just playing his his trumpet. That'd be wonderful. Excellent. We need that. We need a brass section on <laughs> on Barrett Road, don't we? That's what we've always needed. <laughs> um, what about outgoings? DeAndre Yedlin is a is a potential for that, isn't he? He is indeed. Yes. So I have written a piece which should be up by the time this podcast goes out about Yedlin. I mean, he's one. I'll just cover a few of the others who who also they're looking to get rid of, and then then just touch a bit more on Yedlin. But obviously, the likes of Henri Savi, the footballer who doesn't play football, he definitely uh, <laughs> they, they would like rid of. Um, Ashraf Lazar, who's back on Tyneside now, but is training <laughs> with the under twenty three. Sorry, Henri Savi, the footballer who doesn't play football. It sounds like some sort of circus act, doesn't it? <laughs> I mean, he is. Come roll up and see the incredible footballer who doesn't play football. Oh, that's um, brilliant. Sorry, go on. Sorry, beyond that, you've got the likes of uh, Rolando Ahrens, obviously, is available as well. Christian Atsu is someone Newcastle would listen offers to. I still think that Dan Barlassa and Jacob Murphy could well go, possibly Mm -hmm. on loan. Mm -hmm. But DeAndre Yedlin as well is, is someone who... Newcastle have three right backs, and since they've shifted to four at the back, Craft uh, has come into playing a bit more. He's seen as the, the second choice behind having Mankio, who's obviously signed his new long term deal. DeAndre Yedlin, I think, is quite keen to go now. He, he doesn't really want to be third choice. He's he's enjoyed. He's not. He's not been difficult. He's not pushing for an exit or anything like that. But at the same time, he realizes he's not in Steve Bruce's plan. Steve Bruce would like to to move players on. So Besiktas and Turkey are interested in him. Part of the issue there is that they would like him on a free transfer. Newcastle 
would prefer to get a bit of money from. They're also Newcastle are also looking at the possibility of extending his contract by twelve months and sending him out on loan. But that, really, it's probably too late to to do all of that. It's going to be quite complicated to do that. So DeAndre Edlin's time in Newcastle does look to be coming to an end and. I don't think there's, there's really too much surprise there. He's, he's, we all know that his limitations defensively. I think going forward, he's exciting. He can he can really help aid the attack. But I don't think we've necessarily even seen that over the last year. He's had no. groin injuries, had a few other injuries here and there. And so I think it's just sort of, I think it's almost the natural time for it to come to an end. But one of the reasons why, other than Newcastle, I mean, it's ironic because Bruce is desperate to move players on. But obviously, at the same time, Newcastle have this second cup game uh, tomorrow night and then they could have another cup game next week and so Bruce is essentially playing almost an entirely different 11 so he also needs yeah. some of those bodies to stick around in the short term so that is also sort of delaying potential exits there so it's quite a complicated situation but essentially yeah, part of the reason why they haven't been able to bring in so many further incomes as well is that really they need to move more players on than just Mudo and Lejeune as they have so far Hi there I'm David Ornstein host of the Athletics Ornstein and Chapman podcast And I'm here to tell you about Manscaped, the expert in men's below-the-belt grooming. Manscaped offers precision-engineered tools for your family jewels. And Manscaped has just launched in the UK. We've gone years without using the right tools for the job, so you can be one of the first men in the country to experience Manscaped's life-changing products. Their third-generation trimmer features a cutting-edge ceramic blade to reduce manscaping accidents, and the water-resistant technology also allows you to groom whilst in the shower. And we've got a special offer right now for all of you listening to this podcast. Get 20% off and free shipping by using the code EPL20 at manscaped.com. That's 20% off with free shipping at manscaped.com by using the code EPL20. Happy shaving. And you can also listen to me on the Ornstein and Chapman podcast. It's myself, Mark Chapman, and the Athletics stable of expert writers, bringing you unrivaled insight into the biggest stories in the game every single week. George, what about you? What do you think? What, what do Newcastle need to do now to uh, to push on and, and try and actually uh, make some kind of imprint on the Premier League this season? Well, I think that's probably impossible. <laughs> But I would. I mean, oh, I, no, I, I agree with. disposition I, as always. I agree with Chris. I agree with Chris. Um, but for me, the striker thing is the thing that I'm most scared about. Um, you know, we've seen, we saw a glimpse of that as we said last week against Blackburn. What a Wilsonless team uh, might look like, and it's not. Yeah. It's not pretty. So I would be a bit concerned about that. Like about that, it would be good to have another option. Certainly, at the moment, when you know there are injuries and uh, to to Dwight Gale, um, and yes, at centre half, I can see that see that too. I mean, that's less of a priority for me, just because I think there are you know I think there are players bodies there back, isn't it? Yeah. and players coming back, and I think you know Fernandez and and Lascelles. I mean, I, it's you, you want competition everywhere, don't you? You want competition everywhere, and so that's fair enough. I think it's pretty obvious he's going to do that. I think I think there is a. I think you can say that the group of centre halves that are, that are still there now are kind of much of a muchness. Um, so so perhaps that's fair to bring somebody else in and sort of shake that shake that up a bit. Um, but yeah, I I I mean I know some people are saying central midfield things like that. I, th- I think there are a few options there, albeit. Um, you know, we talked we talked at some length about Sean Longstaff last week. Not even in the squad. Yeah. Uh, at the weekend, you need people to find a bit of 
form as well. Um, it would be striker for me as the would be the key. Part of the reason I forgot to say that part of the reason why Newcastle are also in this situation where they have so many players uh, who then they need to try and get rid of. I mean, they have eleven players. Well, they actually have twelve players who are in the final year of the contract. But one of those is Andy Carroll, who obviously signed a year extension in June. Um, but then they would have had 13 players, but Hayden and Darlow signed new contract earlier this month. They have 11 players in the final 12 months of their contract, which is something you would have thought they would have tried to sort out early in the summer. And I nearly said the dreaded T word there, but I'm not going to. Uh, <laughs> over the summer, obviously, we had a big <laughs> uncertainty hanging over all of us. Oh, uh, your uh, dirty uh, mouth, Christopher. <laughs> <laughs> hanging over the, the whole club in, in, and that really has delayed a lot of these conversations and contract negotiations were put on hold and that's part of the reason why yeah. the Newcastle are now in this situation that they are in where it's trying to extract some sort of value if they possibly can while at the same time offloading players whose wages look if DeAndre Eden leaves on loan he will go like Muto or Lejeune and Newcastle will be paying a significant portion of his wages so this is why Besiktas are saying well we'll just we want him on a free transfer because uh, we can take his wages off your books. You're not going to get any money from anywhere. You're going to end up paying most of his wages. So Chris, this is the sort of Chris, delicate balance Chris, that the have. Chris, 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 Chris. Hello. Do not become one of those people that start sentences with the word look. You do not play cricket for <laughs> Australia. I mean, I could with my surname. <laughs> That's true, you could. Very good. Uh, yeah, yeah. Well, okay, that's fine. No, that's maybe that's fine. Okay, fair enough. I take that back. What a repost. You'll get back in your box, Corkin. Yeah, no, it's good. Good, <laughs> good, good response. Nah, look, mate. Nah, look, mate. <laughs> I've just, I'm feeling a little bit disconcerted because the cat's just wandered into the room and it is currently sat in front of me on the carpet just staring at me. And I can't tell if it wants to jump up and sit on my knee or if it wants to attack my throat. But at the moment, well, that's the beauty of cats. Just, it's just sitting cats. looking at me. You've got you've got cats, haven't you, George? You've got you've got two cats. I've got no, I've got four cats. Four cats, Chris. Have oh, you yeah. got any pets? I have no pets. No, I just, oh, just all right. I thought you would. You'd be a dog person, Chris. I don't know why. Sausage dog. <laughs> <laughs> oh dear. Dear me. Right. Okay. <laughs> Uh, moving on quickly. Um, if you want to read um, Chris's uh, piece on Dion Yedlin or George's wonderful piece on the highs and lows of being a football fan, please check out theathletic.com forward slash Newcastle pod. And we have a special offer on at the moment where you will pay just £1 a month. Yes, that's just £1 a month. An amazing saving on the regular athletic subscription price. So get yourself on there and check out all the latest content. Content. Don't know why I split that word in two. Content. There we go. Uh, so, anything else to add, boys? Well, I was going to say that you know Newcastle are playing Tottenham this weekend. They are. I think. I think the one thing that you'd hope for, if not necessarily a victory, is a is a bit of a response, and that's happened on quite a few occasions last last season. That the team the team was able to respond, was able to kind of come back from the worst uh, of their performances, and kind of do something about it and I would like to think that they might be able to do that again I mean obviously they got a great result at Tottenham last last season shouldn't forget that um it's 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 not going to be easy but I think I think one of the one of the things that I do like about the team and always have done particularly since the promotion team is uh campaign is that they're able to do that you know that they're decent they're a decent sort of group um, and there's a sort of honesty there, and you know, 
as time goes on, teams mutate and change uh, and get transformed. But that's something that I'll be looking out for this weekend because it's it's been, you know, it was a powerful sort of thing they had last season. And you want that's that is the kind of that is the kind of game that you have to bounce back from. And yeah. so in one way, shape or form, it would be good to see that. Now, Steve Bruce has kind of said today in his in his Zoom conference that home, away, all those things have effectively ceased to matter now. Yeah. Um because of no no fans being there. But there is still that expectation that you sort of that the home that the home team will have the ball. That the home team has to try and do something. That the home, you know, there's a, there's an emphasis on the home team to do something. And Newcastle kind of struggle when that's them. They just do. And so perhaps you know, perhaps there's a chance to see a re slightly remodeled team play in a different way and with less pressure on them. Um, you know, if not the pressure of noise, because that won't be there, but a sort of different sort of feeling on them, and maybe they can show a bit, um, a bit more about what they might be about. It is only two games into it. I know that we've kind of had that joke, um, and it's it is fair to say that one of those games was absolutely horrendous. I mean, that is very fair to say. So let's hope there's a response. Chris, what about you? What what would you like to see from Newcastle this weekend? I think I'd like to see a bit more. I'd just like to see a game plan. I'd like to know what, how it is they're trying to play. That, that it, yeah. at West Ham, you could see what they were trying to do. Like it was, it was sort of to a, to an extent. There was a little bit of root one about it, having Andy Carroll elbowing people in the face that twenty seconds in. <laughs> but at the same time, it was, it was, it was a clear game plan which was, which, which affected West Ham, and they, they are a big physical team. Bruce said that's why I picked the team against Brighton. I couldn't see that. I didn't know what they were, that what they were trying to achieve. So going no. to Spurs. Now we saw that Southampton with a high line got absolutely decimated by Spurs. So I mean I don't expect Newcastle to play a high line, they rarely do that anyway. But I'm just interested what is what is the game plan? I want to see yes to an extent how they're trying to uh, limit what the opposition can do to them, unlike when I didn't see what they did about that with Lamptey. But I'd also like to see, right, so this is, the, the, but when we get the ball, this is what we're going to try and do. And whether that is Wilson running the channels, whether that is Almiron coming back into the team and giving, giving someone the ability to stretch the team. We don't know if uh, Alan Sam Maximan is going to be involved. I suspect that he probably will be in some shape or form, but but even if he isn't, well, is Ryan Fraser going to start? What is the, how can we go and, yeah. and, and cause Spurs some problems? Because, that was that I just didn't even when you cut on the rare occasions Newcastle got the ball against Brighton I didn't know what they were trying to do I didn't know what they were trying to achieve certainly first half and so that's what I want to see just a mm. bit more of a cohesive or clear plan. One of the things that that really struck me and I don't know if did I, did either of you see Michael Cox's tweet at the weekend about about Newcastle's defensive shape and for those of you who don't know who Michael Cox is he uh, he does the Zonal Marketing podcast as well he's he's absolutely brilliant with the uh, the tactics and all that sort of stuff he posted a tweet of the Newcastle defence with. The, uh, the back four stood on the edge of our box and the midfield four stood somewhere close to the centre circle and then just a big sort of space in between where the Brighton players were sitting. Um, and his his uh, his uh, comment on that was, I have no idea how Brighton are going to find space between these lines. And I looked at that and I just thought, God, that was thinking back. And I know we hate harking back to the Rafa Benitez time, but one of the things we had back then was that the defence was always compact. The, the the team always looked organised and we kind of had a shape, didn't we? And it felt on Saturday like that shape just wasn't there. So for me, I would like to see them 
if they're going to play like that, and they're probably going to have to play like that against Spurs because, you know, Spurs are a very good team. They will sit back, but they're going to have to be tight at the back and they're going to have to be compact and they're going to have to tighten those spaces up because otherwise players like Son Young-Min and Deli Ali will just absolutely take us apart. No, it's a good point. It's a very good point. There was so much space on Sunday. It was it was unbelievable. It really was. And yeah, they were caught in, it felt like they were kind of caught in no man's land between defending, um, which they're kind of used to as a squad, and trying to do something a bit more productive. But you, there, there was nothing, there was just nothing there. I mean, you hope that that was a one-off. And, mm. you know, if you're looking, it's difficult to look for kind of themes in one match. In one match, it's not difficult to look for themes over the course of a season or the course of a few months. But you know, you could you can pick apart you could pick apart every part of the team and every part of the formation and every part of the tactics for what they were uh, at the weekend. Um, no, I mean I can you can sort of forgive you can forgive a team defending for ninety minutes um, as as has happened a lot. Uh, at Newcastle over the past sort of three years, if there's if there's a sense that they know what they're you know they know what they're doing, they know what they're about. Everybody has a part to play. It can be really difficult to watch and not fun to watch, but you can sort of understand it. You can understand it, but there was nothing understandable about Sunday. I mean, there was nothing nothing about it that that worked. And as Chris said, you couldn't you couldn't look at it and think, well, there's a definitive plan here, and. The manager, you know, if the manager gets credit for West Ham, which he deserved, he also deserves um, criticism for Sunday. Absolutely. So let's hope there's let's hope there's a reaction across the team. Absolutely, let's hope there is. Well, thanks very much, gents, for your time, Chris. Hope you have a good week, mate. Look after yourself. Thank you. Likewise. Okay, and George, take care, mate. Look after yourself. Hope you have a good week. Thank you very much. You too. Lovely stuff. And all you dear listeners out there, take care of yourself and look after yourselves and keep safe. And make sure you wear your mask when you go in the shop. Don't be one of those people. We'll speak to you soon uh, on Pod on the Tyne. We'll see you in a bit. Bye-bye.